So this morning, uh, our lead pastor, Kevin Larson, is going to be preaching. Uh, and our passage is going to be Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. And you are looking in one of the black house Bibles that are in front of you. It's on page 853. So I invite you to stand if you're able. And follow along as I read out loud Mark 16, verses 1 through 8. When the Sabbath was passed, Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of James, and Salome bought spices so that they might go and anoint him. And very early on the first day of the week, when the sun had risen, they went to the tomb. And they were saying to one another, Who will roll away the stone for us from the entrance of the tomb? And looking up, they saw that the stone had been rolled back. It was very large. And entering the tomb, they saw a young man sitting on the right side, dressed in a white robe, and he were alarmed. And he said to them, do not be alarmed. You seek Jesus of Nazareth, who was crucified. He has risen. He is not here. See the place where they laid him. But go, tell his disciples and Peter that he is going before you to Galilee. There you will see him just as he told you. And they went out and fled from the tomb, for trembling and astonishment had seized them. And they said nothing to anyone, for they were afraid. Join me in praying. Father, thank you for uh, today. We're grateful for the opportunity to gather. We're grateful for the incredible hope that we find in the resurrection. And I pray, God, today, will you make that more real to us than ever before. Holy Spirit, meet us. Open our eyes to see truth in your word. Help us to see ourselves clearly and our need for you. God, help us to see um, all that's true for us in the resurrection of Jesus. I pray for Kevin as he preaches, God, that you would uh, speak to and through him to us. Uh, we need you, God. We love you. I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. You may be seated. He is risen. He is risen. Well, good morning and welcome once again to Karis. If you don't know, Karis is the Greek word for grace, and we hope that you will experience the grace of Jesus as we come together as his people today. This life is hard. Where is your hope? We've all been tracking the war over in Ukraine, so much suffering going on. Over Christmas, our family was riding subways in New York. Um, this week, you may have heard someone shot up one of the cars. The last couple of years have brought so much hardship to our bodies, but they may be taking an even bigger toll um, here in our hearts. Everywhere, everywhere we turn, so much suffering and sin, so much death and destruction, it's all around us. This life is hard. Where is your hope? Today we come together to celebrate the resurrection of our Lord, and I want us to look at this very short and kind of surprising ending we find in the Gospel of Mark. So we're taking a detour from Matthew, going to the end of, of Mark, and we're going to look at the characters, and then we're going to see and hear their responses to the empty tomb, and I think we will find a word of hope here for us today. 
Notice first the women there at the tomb, there in verse 1. Mary Magdalene, Mary the mother of Jesus, and Salome. So they're clearly some women with some courage, right? Matthew 14, 50 tells us that after Christ's arrest, everyone flees, but not these women here. Now, this isn't the only place that we find that. If we're reading straight through Mark and we get to these verses, we notice that we've seen this group two times before that. They, they're there to witness the burial of Jesus in chapter 15, verse 47, that time minus Salome. And they are there, all three, at the crucifixion just before in verse 40. They were brave, right? You know, this is a... Uh, someone who's called an insurrectionist being nailed across, and there they are before the Lord. Courageous. Back several years ago, I may have told this before, in my grad school days, I drove back to our first home a bit early to try to surprise my new bride. And surprise her I did. I came into the house, I began to walk toward the stairs, I turned the corner to see my wife lunging at me from the steps. And it's almost like time got slow and I could kind of see her in midair and she had this really strange, scared, turned, confused expression on her face as she stopped right before she, I think, wanted to stab my neck. And she, of course, was like, I almost killed you. And I'm like, that's what 911 is for, right? <laughs> she may have been a little scared. But there was no stopping her there, just like these three ladies that we see here. I saw Pastor Ian Simpkins um, post on social media the other day this quote. He says, preachers often say that Jesus was abandoned by all his disciples after his arrest and crucifixion. He wasn't. The women stayed. Wow. They trust God. They're being brave. These women show up at the tomb ready to go. Now, don't miss something as we, we see that here today. The fact that it's women who are here in Mark at the tomb is really significant. Why is that? Well, for a couple of reasons. It first shows the place of women among the people of God. There's this mindset out there, at times deserved, that the Bible is regressive, even repressive toward women. But here we have women here experiencing these earth-shaking events they're lifted up as heroes of sorts in this account. They're right there at the start looking in the tomb. They're the first witnesses to this out in the world. Now, if you're sitting in America, this may seem normal, it may seem obvious to us, but it's really still not the thinking in most of the world even today, and it certainly wasn't normal in the first century days. There's another reason why this is so important. It shows the truth of this story in the Word of God. Now, here's why this part of this picture is what you could call so progressive. It's because in Christ's day, in the Greco-Roman world, the testimony of women just wasn't trusted at all. It wasn't taken seriously. It truly would not stand up in court. So the Lord here isn't just making a statement about the inclusivity of God's people, but also the veracity, the truthfulness of His work. Because... This is hard to hear, but this is not the type of thing that you would just make up because people wouldn't have bought it. This isn't a cute, tidy, airbrushed account designed to persuade as many people as possible. It's just what happened. God includes who he wants. He does things his way. He's about turning things upside down, and he does that here in moving away that stone. 
Now, they no doubt walked up to this tomb discouraged. So remember, they think that this man that they thought was the Messiah was suddenly dead. So they're bringing their doubts, right? Notice that first, doubts. Now, Christ had been telling his followers repeatedly along the way. You can see it in, in chapters 8, 9, and 10. Bam, 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 and Mark. That he would, quote, suffer many things and be rejected by the elders and the chief priests and the scribes and be killed and after three days rise again. And so here are Mary, the other Mary, Salome. They're ready to anoint this dead body. So they're doubting, right? Where are the guys, the disciples? Again, they're not even there. So they're scattering in sadness, but yes, also due to doubt. So they should be there at the tomb, you know, with their lawn chairs, with their popcorn, ready to see what happens. But they're not because they just can't believe that a resurrection could possibly happen. Now, there have been those throughout history, and they're still here today, that say that the disciples made up the resurrection. And they threw that, they duped the world and millions of people over the years. The people back then thought the idea of a resurrection was just as crazy as people do today. Right? They weren't just especially naive back then and now we've arrived. They're in the Greco-Roman world. Greeks in that day, they wanted out of the body. Right? That's Greek philosophy. And a resurrection would have been repulsive to them. Jews back in that day, they looked forward to a resurrection at the end of the world. Not, not one person, not one in the middle of history. Why would they make up something they couldn't even understand? Why would they create a story about something they didn't even want? We can relate to these women on the scene and the men back at home more than we probably think because we also struggle. We have our doubts about a resurrection. Now, verse 2 says they go to the tomb, the one where Jesus would have been laid. And verse 3 says they only then think about the large rolling store, stone door. So scholars have kind of you know, laughed about how you know, they've made all this preparation. But, oh, yeah, the door. How are we going to move that thing that's like hundreds of pounds? But verse 4 says the problem was solved. I guess you could say it was solved, except for the fact that an empty grave probably wasn't good. So they show up and their minds are, are probably fearing robbers or animals had gotten into the tomb. And so they walk up to it and they gasp. Before that, they're walking down this trail in disbelief. And then they walk into that tomb and again they're bringing their doubts. Now I don't know about you, but this is something that I can definitely relate to. And I'm a pastor. Right? I doubt everyone here too does, if they're being honest. I remember back about five years ago when my mom died and it hit me extremely hard. We honestly had a, a really hard relationship and I've heard that that tends to make that type of thing even harder and that was my experience. But I remember just in my office with my headphones on listening over and over to how majestic my citizens that we see here all the time. Just praying and weeping and really wrestling with doubt. Did I believe that this life was all there was? Did I really think that God raised the dead? It was, it was hard. I've also mentioned this several times before from up here. The last couple of years have been really hard. They've been a struggle for me. So I've seen people wearing Christian t-shirts and posting Christian memes, talking and walking in a way that looks the very opposite of love. 
It's hit me hard. It's made me mad. And I've been tempted to ask God, are you really doing something here, God? Are you really still at work among your church? Now, if you read church history, there's so many ups and downs, so many crazy things that the church experiences and does. And let me say, I still see the Lord at work around us, in us. I have so much hope that Christ, yes, will build his church. And I believe that there are good reasons for why we should believe in Christ's resurrection. The tomb was empty. This is an indisputable fact. We have the testimony of so many witnesses, and not just the women here. And we also see the impact of this reality on the life of Christ's followers. It, it leads to this worldwide movement that we're sitting here because of, and it also sends so many of those early disciples to their grave. They believed it that much that they were killed for it. So I keep coming back to Peter's words in my doubts in John 6.68. He says to Jesus, Lord, to whom shall we go? You have the words of eternal life. Now, these women come to the tomb, to their Lord, discouraged, but also with kindness, with their love. They come with spices, verse 1 says, so that they might go and anoint him. They're not embalming him like morticians do today. The spices may preserve the body for a while. They'll offset the smell, maybe for a bit. But this is really a sign of respect. It's a, a sign of love for the Lord, again, that they think is dead. But verse 5 says that they walk in to the inner chamber of that tomb, and they see this young man seated there in white, and they're caught off guard. Um, but it's no doubt an angel that's sitting in front of them. An angel. Now, maybe you're like me, that your mom, growing up, had angel figurines all over your house. <laughs> Some people walked in and were cute, and you were like, cringe, right? But in the Bible, when people run into angels, when they run into people like this, dressed in white, they don't say, ah, they say, ah, right? They freak out. And if verse 5 says, as brave as they are, these women are alarmed. They sense that they're in the presence of the divine, and they're not sure that they're going to live. Jared Wilson has written this. He says, the proper response to Easter is not warm fuzzies, but awe. That's what we see here. Verse 8 says they fly out of the tomb. Trembling and astonishment seizes them. And for at least a while, it says they can't even talk about it. They're afraid. But again, at least they show up. Even if it's not with much faith, with their love. Again, the guys, they're back under the bed. James, John, you know, where's your thunder now? Right? But the ladies here act like they've just been struck by lightning. I remember back just after college, I was playing guitar in this worship team, and the leader, who's a good friend of mine, a gifted leader, got invited to lead music at this conference. And so I, with the rest of the team, joined in with him to lead music for this event, to play some songs. And you could say from the very get-go, I was extremely uncomfortable with this event. I felt like I was trapped in a B-movie about Buddy Televangelist. It was bad. Talk about cringe. Creeped out, some of the wackiest stuff I've ever seen, and I'm up there strumming my guitar, wondering how I could somehow extract myself from the situation without causing feedback on my guitar, and then I hear this roar, and I mean a roar come through the sound system. We've all heard sound boards go awry, you know, we've heard feedback in church. This was at a whole other level. This was 
freight train loud. And I remember looking at these people on the front row, and they just had this look of horror in their eyes. And I was literally thinking, God is judging us here, and I am about to die. <laughs> but I somehow made it out alive, and I had to tell my friend, dude, um, I know I said I did this whole thing, but I'm just, I'm going to be busy the next couple of nights. And, but these women here, they have the sense that they're in the presence of something awesome, something that they can't fully even grasp, and they flip out. And so there's this weird man in white here. The body of Jesus is nowhere to be found. And they probably thought that something bad was maybe even coming, and they needed to get out of there quick. Now, if you read your Bible, this kind of reaction is normal. Right? You get before God, or representatives of Him, like this, and people fall on their faces. God is a holy, consuming fire. And we know, even if it's very deep within, that we're not clean, that He's too pure for us. And the thought of being near to God scares us. Could we really be that close to Him? Could we get near to Him without being consumed? Could He really want to come close to us since He knows who we truly are? I feel that way at times. I'm sure you do. But the good news is that what happens here at the end of Mark, it reverberates from then all the way until today, and it gives us hope that we can do more than just survive in His presence, but thrive. We all we were made to be and we've ever wanted to be. But again, here are these women. We see doubt. We see fear. Doubt that a resurrection can happen. Fear that we can really safely be that close to our God. But I want you to see here how this angel responds. Notice what he doesn't do. He meets that doubt and fear with grace and hope. Um, see first the grace. He, he doesn't chide them for bringing the perfume, for thinking Christ would be dead, for looking so shocked at what they see. No, he alleviates their fears. He wipes away their shame. And the angel also has kindness, right, for those who aren't even there, for the dudes again. Verse 7, but go tell his disciples and Peter. The angel doesn't say, you know, there's morons that didn't show up, you know, don't even bother with them. No, these are the disciples that fled and hid it, and this is the leader of that group. So Peter, yes, so at times have been bold, more like brash, but he's the one that also had just denied the Lord just a few pages back. That seems to be the point the angel is making. There's even hope for him and for them. They don't need to be ashamed. They don't need to be afraid. Now, there are people that are fleeing Christianity all over America today, and I'd argue it's more from the church, though from Christ. But people often explain it as, hey, I, I don't know what to do with my doubts. And it's been common today for people to just heap upon them a lot of guilt and shame. But I can't get behind that because, first of all, I think I have compassion because I relate. But I also take comfort in what we see the angel do right here, who's an emissary of our risen Lord. You don't have to have all your questions answered. We don't have a God that's that easy to, to understand. Your walk can be wobbly. Your prayers can be feeble. Just come. He was waiting there in Galilee. He's ready for you here today. Jesus calls us out of our doubt into faith. The angel says to these women here in verse 6, see the place where they laid them. You know, look for yourself. 
Go see. And in verse 7, he says, go tell. Go talk to Peter and the guys and tell them to meet you with Jesus in Galilee. God, through Mark, through this angel, tells us the same thing. See with eyes of faith. The tomb is empty. Go out and proclaim it. Tell people what you've seen. He shows these women grace in their doubts, and he calls them to faith again. He gives them the truth. He lays out the gospel, the good news here. He says, you seek Jesus of Nazareth, that man from that town out in the hills, the one who was crucified, killed in the most barbaric way for sinners. He's not here. Look around. See the place where they laid him. He's risen. Death couldn't hold him. He was raised to life again. Into their fears, what does this angel do? Well, he points him to hope. I remember back in those days I mentioned, after the death of my mother, when I was really struggling, when times were hard, um, I messaged Russell Moore, who I was a student in back in the day, and asked him to pray. And he, as busy as he is, actually responded. And he, he said this. He said, I'm praying right now. I've been through a very similar experience, it sounds like, with a grandmother who is like a mother. I'm praying. Don't worry about the guilt or the doubt. Just notice it. You can notice the guilt and doubt while knowing that this is like weather, a storm you're going through. Jesus is there in the water with you, and it's okay if you can't swim. He will catch you. So this national Christian leader, courageous as they come, he's got people that hate him on every side, on CNN seemingly once a week, representing Jesus, says, I doubt, I get afraid, Jesus is here. How again can we come close to a God who's so great, in our doubts, but with our guilt, through Jesus, through the risen one, who's right there with us in the waves? We can be close to God again, and this broken world can also be healed in risen Jesus. So, here in Matthew 16, the women come with their doubts. They respond with their fear. The angel gives them grace. He sings over them with truth. We can bring those same things ourselves and receive those same gifts as we come and look into the empty tomb. So, the tomb is empty. What will you do? The tomb is empty. What will you do? Now, you may have noticed, especially if you had your Bible open in front of you, if you read off the screen, you wouldn't have noticed this, but we stopped reading and examining this passage of what seems to be an odd place right after verse 8. So if you, you open up your um, black ESV in front of you, um, there's some other verses at the end that are in brackets. Now, many manuscripts of the book of Mark remain, and that's how we're confident about what should be in there. What are God's inspired words? They're all extremely old, which is a good thing, near to the time of Jesus. But the, mass, the vast majority of them and the most re reliable manuscripts just don't include verses 9 through 20. So almost all scholars are convinced that they don't belong in our Bibles. And really the only reason we're in there, they're in there is because they were you know, in the King James. A lot of people would probably complain and, and squabble. But it stops in this weird place at the end of verse 8. Maybe you're the type of person that you walk into a room and you see a, a crooked picture frame and you just got to straighten it, right? Or you, you're about to eat a dessert and you're like, this is not dessert until it has frosting on it. <laughs> I'm not in that camp. But it seems like um, that's maybe what happened with this ending here. Again, in verse 8. So 
See how it ends. The women are fleeing away. They're freaking out. They're afraid even to speak. And then it's like, you know, Mark unplugs his guitar. The feedback, you know, goes off and he walks off stage, right? Mark, the gospel in general, is just far more brief than Matthew, Luke, and John. And without more details here in the ending, many have thought it just felt incomplete. It just kind of graded on people. So it's more than likely that subscribes back in the day, you know, were trying to do an especially good job. They tacked on a few words. They filled in the rest of the story. But in doing that, they probably completely missed the author's original point. I like the way musician and author Michael Card explains it. He says the... The literary, master, the literary mastery of this ending is that it leaves us standing with the women outside the vacant tomb as well. We are forced to cope with the situation exactly as they were. We are forced to believe without seeing the body. We are compelled to trust Jesus' promise without any proof. This was Mark's contribution to the early church, to draw them into the drama of the moment as no other gospel writer in the decades to follow would do. It was risky and brilliant, and he needs to be deeply appreciated for the literary genius that he was. So, to repeat what I said a few moments ago, the tomb is empty, what will you do? Mark, inspired by the Spirit, calls for a response from us. He gives an invitation. To people there, like us, standing there in disbelief, who even struggle to obey, like these women here. He wants to pull us, invite us through the haze of doubt and fear. He calls us to believe in the resurrection of Christ and what it means in our lives that, yes, can be so hard. He offers us hope. But I want to I finish by talking hope how. What do I mean by that? And I've got six different things. Um, first, believe in redemption from sin. Believe in redemption from sin. From your past. From the penalty of sin. You can stop beating yourself up. In your pre present, from the power of sin, you don't have to keep beating your head against the wall. For your future, from one day the presence of sin, one day all of your battles will be gone this is the promise of the resurrection, redemption from sin. Belief second in relief from suffering, body and soul. One day our flesh and bones and lungs and guts won't hurt and break down anymore. Your brain and heart are not going to ache so much. There'll be freedom from aging and ailments and from agony and despair. This is the promise of the resurrection also, relief from suffering. Belief third and rescue from the grave. We don't have to fear death anymore. One day our bodies will be raised, made new, just like his, and they'll again be healed and whole. As Bobby says earlier, we don't look forward to escaping the body, but the transformation of our bodies. Death was never the Lord's intention when he made us and put us in this world. And he will put death to death once for all when our resurrected Lord returns to the clouds, in the clouds. This is the promise of the resurrection, rescue from the grave. Belief forth in restoration for the world. At his return, his creation will be renewed. We look forward to a new heavens and a new earth with no more war, no more pain, no more sickness, no more dying. All of our tears will be wiped away. God's creation will be remade as it was intended. With Jesus, the king at the center, his kingdom will come to earth and we will reign with him forever and ever. This is the promise of the resurrection. 
restoration for the world. I'm going to keep going. It, get, it gets even better. Belief fifth and reason for our labor. The resurrection, did you know, gives us purpose for our lives, for our work, as we wait for Christ's return and his renewal of all things. We point to that day that awaits down the road, and we bring some of that eternity into the here and now. I love the way N.T. Wright puts it. He says, every act of love, every deed done in Christ and by the Spirit, every work of true creativity, doing justice, making peace, healing families, resisting temptation, seeking and winning true freedom, is an earthly event and a long history of things that implement Jesus' own resurrection and anticipate the final new creation and act as signposts of hope pointing back to the first and on to the second. A lot to unpack there. But this is the promise of the resurrection, reason for our labor. Believe six enriches of joy. I started out fairly somber at the beginning. Suffering and sin, death and destruction, it's all around but this is Easter. And Easter means that there are reasons for joy. Jesus is alive. He reigns over the earth no matter how it might look. His, his spirit dwells in our hearts right now if we believe. He's at work all around us. He's bringing his life in us and through us. In this world, we can see Jesus making all things new. If we'll have eyes to see, he is risen. So we come together to celebrate today. This is the promise of the resurrection, riches of joy. So I'll repeat my challenge. The tomb is empty. What will you do? What will you do? Will you believe? Will you believe for hope? Life is hard. Where is your hope? Is it in the resurrection of Christ? As Tim Keller has said so many times, even if you struggle with this, you want this to be true. Will you let him bring you through your doubts? He understands. He offers grace. Will you let him guide you through your fears? There's grace there too. And hear me, it's certainly better than a world without purpose. So I want to call you today to see the, the plausibility of faith, but also the possibility of hope. The tomb is empty. What will you do? Believe in Jesus, his resurrection. That's where hope is found, friend. Let's pray. Father, I pray today, that you would give us eyes to see the hope that's found in the resurrection. That you would um, awaken spiritual life in people today that don't believe that you would renew life in those of us that have, uh, have believed. And um, just give us hope, Lord, um, as we um, see the rains come down and see the um, grass green and trees um, bud and, and produce leaves, um, I pray would remind us, Lord, that, that you, you make all things do, that you're, you're definitely still at work, that you bring uh, life from death, Father. Um, work in your people. Um, give us joy, so much joy in what you've done for us today. In Christ's name, amen. Every week in Cars Church, we